If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalms chapter 73. Thought I would believe God to bring some perspective from his word. Jerry Clower was a comedian that used to tell stories of his small town and the deep south of the United States. One of his stories uh, concerned a summer in his little community during a time of drought. There was no rain, there was no water, uh, there was no reservoirs that were full, the boreholes were all dry. This little town only had a small volunteer fire department. They knew if there was a fire, it would be a disaster. And then, of course, it happened. One of the large buildings in town caught on fire. And because there was no water, all the people could do was gather together and stand and watch as this building began to burn. But suddenly, down the large hill on that side of town came an old rickety pickup truck Inside was Versi Ledbetter, his wife, and his eight children hanging on for dear life. They were flying down the hill, breakneck speed, and without slowing down, they blasted right through the wooden, large wooden door of this building, right into the middle of the burning building. They jumped out. They began to stomp, they began to flap, they began to use shirts and blankets and kicking dirt and carrying on. And to the shock of the whole city, they stomped and slapped till they put the fire completely out. The townsfolk let out a great cheer, celebrating this great act of heroism. They took up a collection of money, gathered together, in the town center to present it to the Leadbetters, and the mayor said, Versi, you and your family are brave heroes. We want to present this money to you as a token of our gratitude. What do you think you'll use it for? And old man Versi said, well, we ain't brave and we ain't heroes, but I'll tell you exactly what I'm going to use that money for. The first thing I'm going to do is get the brakes on that truck fixed. So here we have the Leadbetters. It wasn't their strength or their ability, but the sheer force of their momentum that hurled them to victory. I want to look in the Word of God, and I want to see what the Bible says about this principle, Psalm 73, verse 23 and 24, and then down to 27 and 28. Let's read that together. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Let's read verse 27. For indeed those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. I want to preach a sermon I've called Momentum Miracles. So first of all, I want to talk about understanding inertia. Inertia is the opposite of momentum, it could be said. It simply means that something that is not moving will remain so unless acted upon by an outside force. Inertia has been called the first law of physics. In other words, inertia is one of the fundamental experiences of life. What it means is that life is such 
is there is a built-in resistance to progress and improvement. Ever since the fall of man, I believe the enemy, the devil, has used sin and sin nature combined with this principle of inertia to keep people from escaping their bondages and improving their lives. It's interesting that Matthew 4.14 is describing people to whom the gospel came as those who sat in darkness and to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death. That's powerful imagery. I want you to think about what that's saying. It's saying that these people were not just living in darkness. These people had resigned themselves to this condition. They were sitting. They, to them, they weren't even trying to escape anymore. They were there as if there was no hope. They were sitting in the, in the realm of darkness and death. This is a picture of inertia as applied to the spiritual realm. In our text, Psalm 73 is actually a very powerful story. And this story is about a believer who comes to a place of trial and difficulty in his life. And he gets stopped in his tracks. Psalm 73, if you look at verse 2 and 3, says, But for as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then in verse 14, he adds insult to injury. He says, Not only do I see the wicked seeming to do rather well, verse 14, he says, for all day long, I have been plagued and chastened every morning. So he, he has a difficulty. He's having a conflict in, in what he believes life should look like and what he's going through as an individual. And as he's confronted with this, it stops him in his tracks. That's, that's a very familiar experience for many people. There's people that they're attempting to live a life pleasing to God. They wake up one day and they find that they're struggling. They find that there's discouragement. They find that they're facing reversal. And they're set back. And suddenly they find themselves in crisis. This is where the enemy wants every human being at a place of physical and spiritual inertia. This could happen when somebody loses their job. This can happen if there's a physical sickness. This can happen if there's a relationship breakdown or a moral failure. And in the text, what this man begins to do is he's questioning God. He's questioning whether life is fair and whether it pays to serve God and whether or not he's going to be able to continue, this is spiritual inertia. So here we are. We're on live stream. We have this crisis, the coronavirus. We're doing our best to honor these, um, these 
um, uh, avoidance mechanisms, social distancing, lockdowns. These are all intended to prevent the spread of this disease. But one of the dangers of something like this, and people are beginning to talk about this, is the economy of Australia can't survive long when business is shut down. This is one of the, 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 the tensions that has to be visited here. The engine of prosperity is jobs and income and business. And when the economy grinds to a halt, what happens is inertia kicks in and it is not easy to start back up by throwing a switch. Economies cannot be turned on and off without consequences. So this is what's, what's having to be balanced with the public good. But I want to say back into the spiritual realm, this is where the enemy wants every human being, physical and spiritual inertia. Understanding inertia means doing all we can to not shut down. And what I mean by this is as we are trying to avoid the spread of a, of a disease, I want to challenge you, don't completely shut down emotionally. Don't shut down spiritually and physically. Don't let inertia seize you. The key is finding strategies to overcome and avoid things getting worse by succumbing to inertia. So I'm going to look secondly then at the momentum principle. Momentum is also called the second law of physics. The first law of physics is inertia. The second law is momentum. It, 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 it talks about the, an object's mass, then the speed by which that object is moving generates momentum. This is described as the force that keeps an object moving or keeps an event developing after it has started. In other words, once you push something, once the inertia that's resting on an object is overcome by an outside force or an inside generated motion. It has a degree of momentum and then it can continue to move under that momentum and it becomes easier to move. There has to be a, a constant pressure keeping it going. But what's interesting is that once it starts, it takes a lot less energy to keep it going. That's the key to this principle. And the faster it goes, the more powerful the force becomes. One description of this that I read the other day, this is a quote, said, picture a giant steam train stationary at the station. To get that beast moving, you have to use an extremely large amount of energy, a huge amount of coal and fire and a team of hardworking humans to get that thing to move even one inch. But as soon as that train moves one inch, it gets easier to move the next inch and it becomes easier to move the next meter and more and more it becomes easier and as it gains speed, this gains momentum. When it finally hits its maximum speed, there is no brick wall or barrier that can stop it. It is 
built up such a huge amount of momentum that it is almost unstoppable. So that's the picture. You have a train going 90 kilometers an hour on a railroad track can literally crash through a five-foot steel-reinforced concrete wall without stopping. The same train at a standstill is unable to go over an inch-thick block of wood in front of the driving wheel. The principle, then, is that inertia has to be overcome and there has to be a decision to do that. This has a powerful application to our lives. What is the moral of that story? It's this. It is never the size of your problem that is the problem. What is the true problem is a lack of momentum because without momentum, even a tiny obstacle can prevent us from moving forward. If you have momentum, you'll navigate through the problems a lot easier and possibly not even notice them because you are in the flow. So let's look at our believer here in our text. He's lost momentum. He's tempted to give up and quit. But thankfully, this individual was able to tap into the principle of momentum. Right in the middle of his discouragement, he makes a decision. Look at verse 16 and 17. This is very encouraging. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. There it is. There's the wisdom that every believer under the sound of my voice can tap into right now and that is regardless of the emotion regardless of the circumstance you can make a decision that says I'm going to step out and I'm going to move in the right direction think about this the first step was a small step it was a first step decision the psalmist said, I went into the sanctuary of God. You know, it's good to go to church. It's good to make an intentional decision to seek out the presence of God. Even in this time, we have this live stream because we're setting aside an arena to where people can still experience or as close as possible reproduce the experience of being in the sanctuary of God. But, you know, when you're hurt, when you're struggling, when you're disoriented, make an effort to seek God. Make an effort to come before him in prayer. Make an effort to open his word and have an encounter with the eternal word of God. That seems like a relatively small step but yet it's powerful in the principle of momentum, and that is if you take a first step, the next step is easier, and then the next step is easier, and pretty soon you have a momentum that these problems would be unable to stop once you get going. I read another very interesting um, illustration, and this is from science or somebody's science class. makes me kind of wish I 
paid attention in science class a little better, but at least we can uh, learn these principles after the fact. But they're saying that in science class, a teacher actually took a bowling ball that's quite heavy, suspended it by a cable somehow, and then there it was, it was able to, to move, but it's, it's sitting idle. And he demonstrated that with a ping pong ball, he was able to get that bowling ball swinging by simply bouncing that ping pong ball off the bowling ball repeatedly. Pretty soon that thing began to swing and it began to swing more. And that's a powerful thought because that bowling ball is 1,300 times heavier than the ping pong ball. But yet, small steps repeated. Pretty soon it was a lot easier to keep that thing moving and give it a, a greater swing. Let's talk about the isolation of the coronavirus crisis. I want to encourage you as a pastor, don't let this cause you to lose momentum in life. This is not time to binge watch Netflix. This is not time to burn your brain out on foolishness. One of the, one of the offhand sarcastic jokes that people are telling is that um, part of their COVID-19 experience is the 19 kilos they're gaining because they're eating badly. And I want to encourage you that this is not time for that. There's a great temptation to that because you can lose momentum. When we, when we lose the routine of our lives that we get up at a certain time and we get ready and maybe spend some time in devotions and, and then go to work or go about our responsibilities and then come home and, and all of a sudden when that routine is, is interrupted that we can, you know, we can begin to let down the, the disciplines of life and, and the, the idea here is to keep momentum, keep the small steps, keep these these, these, uh, these boundaries and these routines as best as possible, especially when it comes to the spiritual dimensions of life. Today, take a first step. If you're out there listening to me and you're not saved, get saved. If you're out there and you're a Christian and you've lost momentum, rededicate today. In your daily routine, start with an encounter with God's word, even if it's a brief encounter. I'm going to tell you, this will be like water to your soul. Take a, sm a, a small first step and take it today. Make a decision that you're going to tune back in tonight and encounter another experience of God's preaching and, and all that God can, can do as you establish this place of Worship wherever you are. Take a step. Bow your knee in prayer. Call a friend. And then the next thing we see that this 
uh, scripture implies is that when you have these small steps, you begin to make a habit of these steps. Do you know why this believer had the presence of mind to dial in to the church or the sanctuary of God, the Old Testament temple at the time? No doubt he was in a habit of that. See, we get in a habit of worship. We get in a habit of attending church, and we can get out of the habit of regularly being faithful. But I'm here to tell you that our repeated small steps that become habitual can save our lives. Somebody said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Somebody else said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap an eternity. Daniel, in the book of Daniel 6.10, the enemies of God had conspired against him, and they actually got a law passed which made it illegal to pray. And it says that now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom. What that literally means is Daniel was in the habit of doing this. And it's powerful even when major persecution threatened his, his life. He had incredible momentum. And even the threat of death couldn't stop him. And it was Daniel's prayer that turned this situation to victory. Now, in balance, you know, back to the coronavirus restrictions, this is not persecution. This is not a time to flout these restrictions. We understand what, what's happening. We understand that this is an attempt to limit the spread of this disease. The concerns is that we're not used to surrendering our liberties. And the concerns are if they, those, those uh, limitations were ever expanded beyond what is acceptable. You know, there are nations on the earth where it's illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal in, in communist China where this started. Christians are breaking the law by simply being Christians and, and, and meeting and, 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 and having Bible preaching, and many of them are arrested and persecuted in the Muslim nations. This is true. And, and this, is, this is what's running in the background of people's concerns is that what would happen if all of a sudden we woke up to an oppressive set of restrictions? But thankfully for us, this is a temporary inconvenience for the common good. Right? But it can still cause somebody to lose their momentum. So what I want to encourage you, church, don't lose the habits of faithfulness. Don't lose your prayer disciplines and your Bible reading disciplines. Don't, don't let them go to inertia. 
I want to encourage you something about the live stream strategy, which is very, very helpful. I would encourage the leaders of every household, be it you know, the father-husband or be it to the, the mother of a, a single-parent household, to view this the same way you would view coming to church. Be timely. Be prepared. Have the family organized. Have a place organized. I, you know, I, I'm preaching, but if I was at home uh, and, and I was there with my wife or family, then I would stand when the congregation is to stand, sit when the congregation is to sit, I would be singing and praising and I would participate. I certainly wouldn't have this running in the background. I certainly wouldn't, you know, be viewing this as a time to multitask. Because you don't multitask God to the side. And I understand that ritual is not salvation and I understand a personal relationship with God. But I also understand that there's something very powerful about us taking time and making room in our lives to connect with God. That's why in Prescott, I thought it was quite cool that Pastor Greg said he's encouraged people in their homes uh, or wherever they're gathering, in their small gatherings, to take pictures you know, off to the back, over, the, over the, the shoulders of people gathering for this, and then email, the, email them to the church. And, and I guess they put together a collage, maybe even on their website, so that people can be encouraged and saying, you know, uh, we're still kind of assembling here. We're still uh, paying uh, attention to the principle of not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so having said that, I want to encourage you during this time to, to keep these uh, as, as something very, very uh, pointed and very, very deliberate. Because there will be a blessing in the area of momentum. Then the, the other thing that you see from the text is that if you can take a first step, if you can continue those steps and build momentum, there's a time that an opportunity will present itself that will build and even turn it to victory. Anyone that's been involved in sports, anybody that's ever been involved in any type of competition, they know that if you are behind, you should not let down because in a moment's time, something can happen and flip the momentum. And if you're ready for it, you can build on that and ride it to victory. This is a very powerful, powerful reality. There's, there's examples of this in... Um, in the sports world, and, and I believe it was Super Bowl 51, and uh, the New England Patriots were playing the Atlanta Falcons. And late in the third quarter, 
Atlanta was ahead 28 to 3 in, in a Super Bowl setting. It's over. It, it might as well be over. Nobody has ever come back from that. But late in the third quarter, New England rallied, scored 25 points to tie it, and then won the Super Bowl in overtime, 34-28, the largest comeback in Super Bowl history. Those that study the game said the momentum shifted on a couple penalties that went New England's way but added to that, it's the mindset of this team that seized on that opportunity and was able to flip this. This is the power of the momentum principle. So I want to close them with momentum miracles. The text is encouraging to see that an experience that could have been absolutely disastrous for this individual ended in victory. Look at verse 23 and 24 again. This is after he decides he's going to come into the presence of God. He says, then I understood their end. God gave him fresh revelation about wicked and sinful acts are not going unpunished. Nobody's getting away with anything. Let me tell you something. God keeps good books. Never be jealous of what you think is the success of wickedness because wickedness is not going to win. And he, he got that revelation. He made a decision. His brain came clear. And then God began to move and build on this man's momentum that he accomplished by making a right decision. Verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. Then you will guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Think about that. This started with a guy who was essentially backslidden in his, his mind and his heart. And he made a decision. I'm not going to give up. And he came into the presence of God. His mind came clear. And the first step, the Bible says, is God took him by the hand. You know, I, I picture a father with his young child. Let me, let me help you, son. Let me help you, my daughter. And then from there, it says, he guided me with, my, with counsel. And then he ends with, he receives me into glory. This is a come from behind win right here. This is being down late in the third quarter, and all of a sudden, the momentum shifts. And this guy goes from being half backslidden in his mind to being in connection with God by his right hand, to being guided through life, to making it into glory. The word of God is filled with people and examples of this miracle dynamic. Do you know it's because God really loves people? God loves his people, and God loves people that are not yet born again, the Bible's filled with examples of God coming through. Judges 7, Gideon. The nation of Israel had been overrun and conquered because of their sin. Gideon is hiding, threshing wheat to feed his family. He's in no way in possession of any type of confidence. And God appears to him and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. 
Basically, that's the Tom Paine paraphrase. He says, you're joking, mighty man of valor. And, and God began to encourage him. He said, you are going to deliver the nation. Long story short, he, cho he chose 300 men against the enemy that couldn't even be numbered. They couldn't even number the chariots or the camels or the, you know, the horses, much less the foot soldiers. There could have been hundreds of thousands or even millions. There, this was innumerable. And God said, I'm going to use you and these 300 people to turn this battle. And right before the battle, somebody had a dream and told Gideon and said, I had a dream that a loaf of barley bread rolled into the camp and collapsed a tent. And because Gideon had gained some momentum, he interpreted that by faith and said, that is the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. This is a picture, a loaf of bread collapsing a tent. You'd have to have a fair amount of momentum to do that. But in his faith, he said, you know what? God's going to do a miracle today. And somehow they developed a strategy. They gave each of the soldiers trumpets. And they gave each of the soldiers a clay pot and inside a, a torch that was on fire. They waited till the sun went down while everybody was sleeping. The enemy was sleeping. How many of you ever been scared out of a good night's sleep? How many of you ever been startled out of sleep? What they did was they positioned themselves around the enemy. And on a signal, they blew the trumpets they smashed the containers revealing their flaming torches and rushed them and the enemy absolutely panicked. 300 against hundreds of thousands and they turned the battle and sent them packing and won a great victory. That's a miracle. That is the miracle of momentum. David and Goliath, this is a classic story. Here's the armies of Israel, and they're paralyzed by one Philistine who is just bigger than most people. He was big. He was a big dude. I, I don't uh, know that we've seen the likes in our, uh, in our lifetime. But yet, he's one man. Here's the whole army of God who has God's power and God's ability, and nobody wants to fight him. Nobody will match him. And here comes young David from the sheepfold. He's probably a teenager or a young teenager at that. He's not even in the army yet. So he's, he's under 20 years old. And he's bringing food and supplies to his big brothers who are in the army. And when he sees, he says, who is this, who is this Philistine who dares to taunt us that way? I'll fight him. And of course, all the older brothers got, you know, a bit annoyed with, you know, the young pup who's, who's more brave than they are. And he goes, no, listen, God will help me. And he, he goes armed with a sling and some stones. He prophesies right in the face of this big, ugly Philistine, says, you know what's going to happen today, buddy? I'm going to kill you. And your body's going to be food for the vultures of the earth. Because with me is the Lord. And God's going to help me. And the Bible says, then he ran at him. I want to tell you something. This is a momentum miracle. And when God saw this man take, this young man take these steps, 
And David, no doubt, was pretty good with a sling and stone, probably practiced all day long when he was in with the sheep with nothing else to do. But I have to believe God helped him. When he swang that stone, whew, I believe God locked into that with his guidance system and put it right where it counted. Knocked that big, ugly Philistine on his butt, knocked him out, and in his state of comatosis there for a minute, David took his own sword and cut his head off with it held up his bloody head, and that inspired the rest of the army of Israel, and they rushed on the Philistines and destroyed them. This is a momentum miracle. See, in our text, this believer went from standstill to revival in one church service. You know, that could happen today. I'm believing God for that to happen today. You know, the coronavirus is no match for the Holy Spirit. It's no match for the Aussie spirit. It's no match for the American spirit. You know, our nations were built on an overcoming attitude. We're going to overcome this. This is going to get back to normal. It's going to get back to better than normal. And God's going to help us because God wants to help people. I'm going to believe God that people that have allowed inertia to seize hold of them, they're going to change it today. They're going to, they're going to get moving and momentum's going to take over. Because Romans 8 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. In verse 24, this man took his crisis and made one step toward God, and God carried him to glory. Let's pray together. God, I'm asking you to do a miracle right now. I'm asking you to touch people in whatever condition they're in, whatever state they're in, whatever need they have. And I'm asking you to turn this and bring a momentum miracle for individuals, for families, for churches, for businesses, for cities, for nations, as we take a step towards you right now. In Jesus' name. I want to talk, first of all, to people that are watching, that perhaps you're not right with God. You're not ready to stand before God in eternity and be judged for your sins. I have some very good news for you. The Bible says we're all sinners. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, meaning there's a price to pay, and a righteous God, a just God, cannot just ignore sin, but he loves us. So what he did Rather than us being doomed to pay the price ourselves, God became a man. And the Bible says we beheld him as of the only begotten Son of God, or literally the only time God ever became a man. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He was God in the flesh. He was born of a virgin. That means he had no sin nature. He had no original sin. He lived a sinless life. And when he came to the end of his ministry, he allowed sinful mankind to nail him to the cross and he shed his blood and he paid the price for me and he paid the price for you. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead and he's alive. He ascended into heaven, but he said where two or three are gathered, I will be in the midst of them. And I believe 
Jesus Christ is here in our midst. And I believe Jesus Christ is where you are. And he gives us an option. We can either live our lives to ourselves and at the end of our time stand before God and be judged for our sins. And we're going to all be found guilty if that's the case. And God's place of punishment is called hell. But he doesn't want anybody to go there and he doesn't want you to go there. But because of what Jesus did, you have an option and I have an option. And that is we can turn from our sin. We can put faith in Christ. We can invite him into our lives, repent and be converted. And we can have a brand new life. It's called being born again. You don't have to join a church to have this happen. You simply have to make a decision to put faith in Christ and turn from your sin. And if you would like to do that, and I believe there's many watching right now that you want to do this, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The reason I'm going to lead you in a prayer is the Bible says, with your heart you believe to righteousness, but with your mouth confession is made to salvation. It's very important when we express our faith and pray. So if that's you, and you want to be involved in this and you want to get saved and be forgiven and gain some momentum, I want you to repeat this prayer after me and I want you to say, Father God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart. I turn from my sin and I put faith in you. I want to be born again. I want to be set free. I want to make heaven my home. And I believe you to do this for me. I commit my life to you. And I thank you for accepting me. I thank you for forgiving me, and I'm asking you to help me from this day forward in Jesus' name. Praise God. When I prayed a simple prayer like that, God touched my heart. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I pray for these that have committed their heart to you in prayer. I take dominion over the enemy. I break every curse against them. I take dominion over the works of Satan and sin, and I cast out every spirit and every bondage, and I loose the Holy Ghost, God. Bring a confirming dynamic in their inner man of their conversion. Help them, keep them, bless them, and minister to them all the way to eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God for salvation. I want to encourage you, if you've prayed that prayer, there's a button right under the live stream there that says New Believer. And if you action that button, there'll be a field where you can fill in your name and details. And then that way we can stay in touch with you. And we would really like to know that you made a decision and do whatever we can to help you. Otherwise, believers, you're here. I want to just establish something of an altar right where you are. We've talked about momentum and talked about losing momentum in the first step and then believing that momentum is going to change the outcomes. And I want you to begin to bring your experience before God right now. Pastor Glenn is going to help us sing. As we do that, I want you to begin to touch God where you are and let's let God have his way. Let's sing majesty. 
Thank God for all he's done in our lives. Thank God for his word. Thank God for this opportunity to live stream and uh, be a part of what God's doing. Amen. I want to encourage you. Tonight we have another service at 630. And uh, God's going to move. It's going to be a completely different service and a completely different message. But the same presence of God and a very good first step for many and a very good following step for momentum for the others. And with that, I want to say thank God, the Lord bless you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the miracle of your word. I thank you for your help in the time of trouble and struggle. Help us with dominion and momentum all the way to glory. In Jesus' name.